watch Jimmy Fallon very much. Sometimes I see YouTube clips that he has, but he has these hashtags, and sometimes he'll tell his audience, hey, there's a hashtag week this week. Tweet out you know, this hashtag, and he'll choose the, the best ones for his show. I just want to start today with uh, some of these hashtags. And he asked just uh, not that long ago, a couple months ago, um, tweet out hashtags why I'm single. So these are some of the things that he cho chose from his show, why I'm single. Ricky P. Third, that's his Twitter name, I guess. He said, I took a girl to the movies for a first date. She leaned in for a kiss, so I leaned in too. But then I accidentally sneezed in her face. This is why I am. So, yeah, that is not, um, that would be just right in your face, right? So, that's why I'm single. Just some examples, okay? Here's Sweaty Betty. I mean, these are actual, I got them from his show, so apparently someone named themselves Sweaty Betty. Uh, I once walked in, maybe that's why she's single. Just her Twitter name, but I once walked into a guy's really messy apartment and said, oh, cool, this is just like one of those places in the Febreze commercials. Right? Said, Ch -ch -ch -ch. Disgusting, right? Someone named uh, Tide Water Girl. I was on a great blind day when I returned from the restroom. I sat down and resumed talking. I got a confused look. Then a voice behind me said, you're at the wrong table. I'm over here. Like, does she not even remember what her date looked like? So... That's why she's still single. Ninja Mandar1, 1221, says, whenever I watch a movie, I turn my hoodie around and use it as a bowl for my popcorn. Oh, it's genius, isn't it? You turn it around. Do you like your little salt and dandruff with your popcorn, maybe? So, yeah. It's shy, said a guy I liked said date, and I immediately said yes. He was asking me what day it was. <laughs> a little bit too desperate there, maybe. For so these are just some examples. Today we are talking about singleness, uh, and it's uh, the subtitle, Not Plan B. Have you ever thought, maybe yourself, or you have you just think this is what single, it's, it's, oh, you know, they couldn't get married, so this is the next best thing. This is Plan B for someone. That is not the case. It is not Plan B, and so I want to talk about singleness today, a part of our series. Um, and you know, there's a part of the problem is our culture elevates uh, the biological family, this this core family. What's that called again? Not core family, nuclear family. Thank you. You're so bored. Oh, nuclear family. Uh, to an idol status, a status of idolizing this. But in the scriptures, we see that it is so much brothers and sisters, and this is the language we use for people who are followers of Jesus Christ, and so. The culture of our day today is different than the culture in the scripture. So we have this difficulty understanding why singleness is, is how it should be because we, we're so enmeshed in our culture. So that's part of the difficulty. But also, you know, people who are single, they, they look at the, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. Oh, you know, look at them. You know, they're married and they have children and, oh, I'm just so lonely. We love to be married. And then on the other side, you know, we, I hear the same things like from people who are married, like, oh, my single friends, like, they're not driving they're all over the place. They can do whatever they want. They got freedom. And, and I'm lonely even in my own marriage. So singleness and marriage, like, they're, they're actually pretty equal. I say pretty equal because it does seem that Jesus and the early church leaders elevate one of them a little bit more than the other. Guess which one? 
it does seem, when we look at you'll see that singleness maybe is a little more better. Is that proper grammar? No, more better no, than uh, marriage. But if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard the other way, like marriage is something that we aspire to, and, and singleness is not, a, it's like plan B, but this is simply not the case. Um, so I want to look at, uh, at the scriptures, and then let's, let's, we're going to be going all over. So you may, if you want to keep these verses um, to look at later, you'll need a pen, and the pen is right in front of you. You want to write a bunch down. But very beginning, do you remember what the very first commandment is? Yes, be fruitful and multiply. This was the very first commandment. It was given in, and who was it given to? This is a trick question. Who was the very first commandment given to? Actually, it was given to the animals on day five. Weird, right? Oh, it was repeated again. Uh, and I'm like, what? So uh, animals get the blessing in that first. Then people, God says, be fruitful and multiply. Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 28. Let me get this up for you. Be fruitful and multiply. And this is repeated over and over again. Do I have to push longer, Lori? There we go. Oops, back. This is really, and back again. Okay, these are in your notes. Anyways, be fruitful and increase in number. And this is just not repeated once. It's not just written once. It's written over and over. It's repeated again and again throughout scriptures. Be fruitful and increase in number. And then we see as we read stories and we read the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament, that um, getting married and having children is a sign of a blessing. This is what everyone seems to aspire to. But then um, Jesus comes along and he says stuff like this. Um, the disciples said to him, if this is the, the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. And Jesus is like, mm-hmm, you're right. They were probably joking when they said that. Oh, you know, this crazy teaching you have on divorce, if that's how it is, and, and we'll get to that you know, next week. But he says, if that's how it is, it's just better if they don't marry, right? Ha, ha, ha. And Jesus is like, well, yeah, it's better not to marry. How do you get from that Command is repeated over and over all throughout Scripture. Be fruitful, multiply to, it's better not to marry. Or um, Paul, the apostle who uh, was led by the Lord to write most of the New Testament, says, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's good to stay unmarried, as I do. Like, what? So how, how do we get? You know, from this command that's repeated over and over again, to be fruitful, multiply, and, you know, children are your blessing, and, and all this, to, it's better to be single. Does that even make sense? So let's look at that a little bit here today. First, <clears throat> that's better. So let's look at the storyline, <clears throat> almost better, the storyline of the Bible. I'll look at a lot of verses here. If you want to jot down the references and come back to them later, you may want to uh, think, well, that was in the scriptures. Really, that was uh, something. Write that down. Doodle if you want as we go through this. And then we're going to come back to Jesus' teaching and the teaching of Paul on, on singleness. As we just read, the very beginning starts with be fruitful and multiply. And it's said to Adam and Eve. It's repeated to Noah. It's repeated to Abraham over and over and over again. This is a very core uh, mandate that was given to the people. God blesses them. He says, be fruitful and increase the number. Fill the earth and subdue it, he says. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And this is a theme that is continued on in Abraham and in Isaac 
Abraham was chosen to be the father of God's people. God took him out and he showed him all the stars in the sky, remember? And then he said, this is, so shall your offspring be. Like you can't count all the stars in the sky. The longer you look, the more the stars that appear. This is how your offspring will be. And Abraham thought, well, I guess it's not going to happen with Sarah, right? And so we, he, um, but God said, no, no, it, yes, Ishmael it will be blessed, right? But no, it's Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. He said, Genesis chapter 15 and 16 and 17. So in other words, the physical offspring mattered, was crucial. It was through Sarah um, that this would happen. And God reaffirms this. Genesis 26, verse 3. He says to Isaac, stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and I will bless you. I will bless you, he says. And what is the blessing? The blessing is, for to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. Again, this physical offspring is crucial. And it's so important to the storyline of the Bible. And then even with David and Saul, you see this repeated over and over again. You can look at 1 Samuel chapter 21, chapter 24, verse 21. These offspring of physical, you know, having children and them having children is so important uh, for the covenant that God has given to his people because not only, uh, not only do people increase and, and God is actually creating an ethnic people group, right, in the, in all through this the history, but it also ensures that you stay alive through your, like your name, your family name continues. And that is really awful if it stops at you for people in the Bible. So Saul, right, when, when, um, when Saul was kind of, you know, at the end of his life, David was taking over and, and he says to Saul, like, please, or Saul says to David, like, swear that you will not cut off my offspring for the sake of my name. So it was so important. To them, verse First Samuel twenty four twenty one says, "Swear to me," Saul says to David, "By the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family." It was very crucial that someone's name, their family name, can continue because that is how they continue being part of the covenant people. If not, they just it just stops. It's extremely important. So you're familiar, probably, maybe, maybe not with the the leveret. You know that what we think is this weird this leveret law of marriage. And let me remind you um, what it was. And some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, I remember that. It was awkward. And um, if, a, if a man dies, a man who's married and he dies, and he hasn't had any children yet, then the next oldest brother is to have children with this guy's wife. Why? So that the brother who died, his name does not stop. It can continue on for generations. See, that's how they had these weird laws because that's how important this was. This physical offspring was extremely crucial. And so the whole book of Ruth, that's some of you have told me that's your favorite book. It's all about this, where Ruth um, and um, Obed, Boaz. I remember a sermon about that, Boaz, yeah. Um, Boaz decides he has children with Ruth for the sake of her father-in-law so that their family name is not cut off. And it's this whole, it's, see, it's really, really important. Physical offspring, it's just so crucial. Be fruitful and increase. Um, we need lots and lots of, lots and lots of people, lots and lots of Israelites. Okay, because if the Israelites were wiped out, then it's like the end. 
This was extremely imp important to God's covenant with people. And there's that really weird story, too, with Jephthah, and I'm not going to get into it. Judges 11, if you want to read about it, because that's just a whole other sermon. Um, but Jephthah was um, was going to die. She needed to be killed. I'm not going to get into that story right now. And if you know about it, then you know why. But the, the important part of that is that she was so distressed that she was going to die. She said to her father, just give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends. Why? She's so sad because she will never marry. And so that makes her so sad. And he said, okay, you may go. Because she can't have that. She can't be part of this covenant. You can't, your, your name just vanishes. And so it is extremely important all throughout the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, for this to happen. Now we get to the prophets, and especially in Isaiah. Well, Jeremiah was 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 single too, but um, Isaiah starts giving these little hope, these prophecies, especially regarding people who can't have children, people who are barren, or for people who are eunuchs. And for some reason, maybe they were born that way, maybe they've chosen to be that way, maybe they were made that way by, by people, but they were people who've given up um, uh, in a culture where like, there's no... The family is who cares for you as you get older. He, this, these eunuchs have given that up for the sake of, of God's kingdom. And so he gives these words of hope. He starts saying there, he says words like this in Isaiah 56, verses 4 and 5. This is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, okay, to them I will give a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Like, how does that even happen if you, if you can't have any children? If it's not possible, you see these glimpses of hope as the prophets start prophesying. They say, I will give you a memorial. Your name will last forever. And this is going to be better than having physical offspring. Like, see how this, this story is starting to change a little bit as you get to the prophets. And then Jesus comes along and he is, remains single. He has a physical body. He never marries, and he is the perfect human being. And so he starts teaching, and he says things like, um, it's not about physical offspring. It's not about being born into um, Israel. So if you have Jewish parents, and now you're, born, you're, now you're Jewish, and you're part of it, it's not about that. What is he saying? Nicodemus was a Jewish leader, and he had that privilege of being born into the people of Israel. And Jesus said, I tell you, John chapter 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? Like, I, this is not how it works. It's people of Israel. And Jesus is saying, no, it's a spiritual birthright. So he thinks, how do you go back into the womb and be born again? And Jesus explains to him, no, it's like the wind. It's like the spirit. It's a spiritual rebirth. This is what is really important. And it's very interesting. You see Jesus sandwiched here in between John the Baptist who is also single, and then there's Jesus, and then there's the Apostle Paul. Single people in the New Testament having a much higher status than they did before. So Jesus talks about these things. Unless they, unless they are born again, you cannot be part of the kingdom of God. And the early church fathers, the the early early like first the the first leaders of the church, the apostles, they see that they, the people that they are pastoring, the people that are coming to the Lord, that is, these are my children. They talk about this. These are my spiritual children. So 
1 Peter 1.23 says, You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And Paul writes, for example, 1 Corinthians 6, he says, I speak as to my children. Paul didn't have any physical offspring, but he writes, As you are my children, open wide your hearts also. In Galatians chapter 4, again, he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. Like, how you know, man can do that? But he says, I'm in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. There is something so much greater than having physical offspring. Third John chapter one verse four says, "I have no greater joy than to hear that my children—okay, not my physical children, but my children, my spiritual children—are walking in the truth." So Jesus and Paul and all the New Testament writers, basically, what they're saying is, children are born into God's family; they receive the inheritance, okay, not by marriage, um, not by being born into a Jewish family, but not by having children, but by faith and by spiritual. Regeneration. So this means, this is really, I have to just stop here for a second. This is quite mind-blowing. Turning point. Um, what it means is that um, single people in Christ have no disadvantage in bearing children for God. And in some ways may have a greater advantage than those who are married. The Apostle Paul was single, and he said to his converts, even if, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I am your father, through the gospel. Paul was a great father, though never married, never having children of his own. And he speaks again in First Thessalonians, he says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. And so, so it will be of many single men and women in Christ, great fathers, great mothers, never been married, never having children of their own. And then Matthew chapter 22, you remember when people, this, they talk about when you get to the kingdom of heaven and what will it be like? Like who's going to be married to whom? Like if, if someone had several you know, spouses? And he says, well, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Like, there is no marriage. In heaven is what Jesus is saying. Singleness is eternity. Marriage is something that's just temporary in this life for a short time. Singleness is a greater testimony to what it will be like in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And you remember when, when Jesus, um, he said, someone asked him, who are my, who are my mother and my brothers? Or no, someone, someone talked to him and he said, hey, who, what do you mean, who, my mother's here? Like, who's my mother and my brothers? It almost sounds rude. But he points to his disciples and he says, here's, this is my mother and my father. This, this is my family. These are my mother and my, my brothers and my, and my sisters. Like, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is completely changing things around. The physical family is secondary to the spiritual family. So we are brothers and sisters. In Christ. This is how we get from be fruitful and multiply, have lots of babies. Basically, the old covenant says, go make tons of babies. And the New Testament, like, it's spiritual children that counts. It's different now. It is through that rebirth. And, through, and so let's look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 
to 12. We'll look at a few verses. We'll, we looked at this last week. We're going to look at it again. This is becoming kind of a key, key passage for us. Jesus talks about this in Matthew, and then Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 7. So Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 12. We've got a couple of these verses specifically near the end. You can read all of them after, and we'll read more of them next week. But again, as I quoted earlier, the disciples said to Jesus after he talked about um, you know, who's permitted to divorce, he said, if, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, verse 10, it's better not to marry. And you would expect Jesus to say, oh, no, you misunderstood what I'm saying. No, 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 I'm not saying that. You misunderstood me. That's how we would expect him to respond, but he doesn't. In fact, he just says, well, not everyone can accept this teaching. But you're right. Isn't that what he's saying here? Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs okay, who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So we can parse this on eunuchs that were born this way, okay, or they're made this way by others, or have chosen to do so. These are people who have given up certain rights for the service in the kingdom of God. Eunuchs who were made that way, maybe whatever, they were, they were born that way, made that way, whatever it was. These, these are, are, are single people who are remaining celibate, and they have given their lives to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is better to um, remain single in some cases. And then Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say this, it's good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. Do we ever, would, would you ever say that? You know, oh, it's probably better. Generally, if you've grown up in a church, it's, you, we assume it's better for people to get married, probably coming from our culture and the idols we have in our culture. But if we look closely at what Jesus says and what Paul says in the storyline of the Bible, we see that it is good to stay unmarried, as the Apostle Paul has said. And he goes on and says, because I would like you to be free from concern. Okay, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. There's a little more freedom in that area. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world how she can please her husband. The, apostle, the teachings of the apostles, the teaching of Jesus, give us examples that singleness is actually really good. Being single does not mean you are less blessed, that you do not have a place at all. It's equal, if not even a little more esteemed in the scriptures. But don't we seem to have that you know, backwards? Of course, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, it was all about 
creating this people of Israel, and so having children was necessary, and that was the way, it was a sign of blessing to be fruitful and multiply. But we, even in the Old Covenant, we could see glimpses of hope that there is a, it's changing, and there's going to be a time when it's different. And so in the New Covenant, right, the New Testament, Jesus comes along and says, it is different now. And this is life-changing for many people because this is our family. And, and as we read the scriptures, we're supposed to treat each other as if we are brothers and sisters. Like, right? We are, but probably we don't because we think what's most important is my little family here. And I know that, you know, they've got issues, you know, and they're, they go to my church and yeah, they're brothers and sisters, but really, but if you real, if you look at what Paul says and what Jesus says, this this is our family, our spiritual family. And so, being single, being married, they're both different versions of complete blessedness. And and they're both beautiful. And they're both hard. It's hard to be single sometimes. It's hard to be married. Sometimes I know if you're single, you're looking at me. Yeah, you're married. You have five children. It's easy for me to say. I'm speaking from a point of privilege. Maybe that's the case, but you need to know it's not. Ask married. It's it's hard sometimes. And sometimes some married people think, "How do I get out of this? I'd rather be single." So it's really the same. You're blessed as if you're single. You're blessed if you're married. There's no less of a position or status in the kingdom of God. Maybe. In our culture, maybe, I don't know, but in the kingdom of God, we are the same family. And so we take care of brothers. You can see that example in Acts, right? When there were other, not my own family, but someone else's mother or someone else's sister or brother. We take care of each other. This is really maybe too much for us to handle, to realize that this nuclear family is not as important as a spiritual family in the kingdom of God. These are the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so there's a little diagram in your book. Basically, if you could sum it up, the first commandment, be fruitful and multiply, is replaced with the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Make spiritual children. And you can have tons of children. And you can be a father or mother to so many, as the Apostle Paul says in his own words. So let's get back to these hashtags for a minute. And so there may be other reasons why, other than you have your, you know, popcorn in the hood of your hoodie, other reasons why someone might be single, maybe more biblical or scriptural reasons. Let's look at this one from someone named us. Now, these ones are not real tweets. Okay, the other ones were. These are invented by somebody. Esther's by hero, not a real person. But in the end, everyone will be single anyway. So you see... Marriage testifies to God's covenant with his people. Marriage has a certain way of, of being an example to God's love for us. But singleness can testify in a different way. This is what it's going to be like anyways. And I don't need to be married in order to have, to, to be a full follower of Jesus Christ, to be fully blessed. Okay. So, and everyone's going to be single anyway. So oh, that's what this person thinks. So an Ethiopian eunuch. Um, as a Christian, I am fully blessed whether I'm married or single. So I choose to be all in right now, whatever my relationship that status is. This is why I'm single. So, you know, I know for, for some of you who are single, you might be thinking, or if you have friends who are single, they, they, yeah, this is all great, you know, for people who chose to be single. But not everyone who's single has 
chosen this, right? I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. God's given me the gift of celibacy. This is, this is me. Sure, there are some people like that. And you know, um, sometimes as we look through church history, we are part of the Protestant Ref- Reformation. And sometimes you realize, you know, the Catholics, they had some good things. But, but the Reformation makes us think, you know, everything that's Catholic is wrong and bad. And so we can swing the other way. And as historians are writing more and more these days, we realize we've kind of swung too far. So, when, you know, to be a priest, you needed to be celibate and to be single. And we think, okay, so therefore that's Catholic, so that's bad. Therefore, we're going to embrace and idolize family. That is not necessarily a good thing. Both. And because for those who are called to be single, then if you can accept this word, then do it. And maybe you, ha- you can, but you're thinking, I won't. That's a good question you have to ask yourself. So as a Christian, fully blessed, I want you... I know that you might think, oh, I'm not, I've never chosen this. I don't want to be single. This isn't, I don't believe this is what God's plan is for my life, but this is how it is. And when you're 20, you think it's kind of fun, and 30, and then 40, and you realize all your friends are married now. But this is not a waiting time for you. This is not a time you just, it's a, an in-between time. And I know some people have talked to you as if it is like that, but it's not. Wherever you are, if you're single or if you're married, like, be all in. You are completely Blessed. You have everything that you need. You are a full member of the, of the people of God. Don't, don't think, oh, well, when I get married, you know, then things are going to change because you take the same stuff into your marriage and then it just, it just gets more complicated. So there's good things about being married. There's good things about being single. Be all in if you're single right now. This is not a waiting period. And you know, all of us come into this world single. Many of us get married. But most of us will leave this world single too. I know it's kind of a morbid thought, but generally you don't die at the same time as your spouse. So singleness is really important for every single one of us. Here's someone else. I know these aren't funny ones, right? These are more scriptural. It's not, scripture's not as funny. John Piper. Okay, this is actually John Piper's Twitter handle, and he actually said this, but he didn't tweet it. This is John Piper from a book that I was reading. He said, the greatest, wisest, most fully human person who's ever lived, never married. It was Jesus. Why? So he's not single, so he couldn't say why I'm single. He said, why you are single. And then um, here's another one. This is a, an author who wrote a book called Redeeming Singleness. I don't think he tweeted this, but it was in his book, so it's an actual quote from him. Christianity, this is, this is really cool. Christianity is distinct from its other siblings of faith, Judaism and Islam, because it affirms singleness. Judaism doesn't. Islam doesn't. But we do. Christianity is unique. We affirm that singleness is good. It's a good thing. So, this person, Jane Doe, 9204, boom, mic drop. She was tweeted that. That's why I'm single. I want you to understand that singleness is good. Marriage is good. They're both good in different ways. Singleness is not plan B. Does not need to be plan B. Whatever situation you're in right now, if you're married or if you're single, be all in. Let's create the spiritual family. Let's create spiritual sons and daughters. The Great Commission has replaced the first commandment to be fruitful and multiply. Number one in your notes, it says marriage is actually, it didn't say actually, just marriage is not fundamental in the building of God's people. And now in the New Covenant, as it was. In the Old Covenant, it was fundamental. Marriage and having children. Not anymore. I want you to understand that. And so, um, 
many churches, statistics will say that the the demographic of our society that is least represented in churches is what? Single people. And even less, the worst part, the, the lowest representation is single women in mid midlife. So just if you look at single people in the culture, what percentage they are, and then you look at single people in the church, the percentage is way lower. So it's almost like this is an unreached people group. Not quite, but almost. Single people are welcome here, and I'm sorry if we made you feel that you aren't welcome. I know that, I mean, I've got a family, and it's busy, and sometimes I see everything through my own perspective, and other people see things through their own perspectives, and like, let's have family fun events at the church. How does that make, you know, a single person feel, right? Or, or people who aren't able to have children, and you are very much welcome, and I'm sorry if we haven't made you feel welcome, we need to do a better job, but wherever you are, Right now, understand that it, it's not fundamental. You don't need to get married in order to be a good follower of Jesus Christ. Some people will, and some people won't. And both are good. And both are viable. Number two, singleness, as I mentioned before, it's a great testimony. Your life as a single person anticipates the age to come in which there is no marriage. Everyone is going to be single. Marriage itself will be obsolete. And so you, you're heralding the coming of the new age. It's because, oh, well, you know, why are you single? You can create your story and say, this is why. And in the end, I'm, we're all going to be there anyways. And there's this thing called kingdom of heaven. And you, so we need married people and we need single people to have a good balanced testimony of what life will be like. In the end, so you can kind of, you're just practicing, you know, for future anyways. You're getting ahead of us, those who are married. You're, you're getting really good at being single because you're going to be like that forever. Anyways, that was just kind of tongue in cheek. Sorry. So the common assumption, I crossed it out because it is not true. Singleness is temporary until I get married. The truth is the other way around. Marriage is a temporary institution. It goes on for some years during this life. But when Jesus comes and we're all together in kingdom, there is no marriage and that is permanent. Singleness is more permanent than marriage. So please flip that around in your mind. So let us... Remember that as we gather together, let's, it, this is a big change for many of us to treat each other as if we are the same family. Because we are. We are brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And those words that Jesus said, right? Think, why is he saying that? There's his, your actual physical mother is there. And you go, no, these, as if he's being rude, but he's not. He's opening up saying, this is the spiritual family. We're mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and children in the same family. And so I like to remember that in other countries we have brothers and sisters that maybe we've never met. And so someone who's following the Lord in China or Greenland or Egypt, they have more in common than you, with you, than your neighbor who doesn't follow Jesus Christ. Even though they're both, you like the same sports and go to the same restaurants, you might think you have a lot in common with someone who's not a follower of Jesus Christ, but you have more in common someone on the other side of the world that you've never met who is a follower of Jesus Christ because we are part of this spiritual family. So let's see, it's a little bit changing. We have to, what? Many people have said we have idolized the family above um, the spiritual family, the physical family. And so have we done that? So it might be a good thing if you are married or even if you're, you're not married, when you talk to children or when you talk to youth about marriage, instead of saying, you know, when you get married... You know, life's going to be this way. Change that. Say, if 
because both are viable. I don't put pressure on people to get married. If they, maybe they won't, but that's okay. It's not secondary. It's not plan B. So, you know, if you get married, you will realize, you know, this or this or that. It's not necessarily a when. Does that make sense? Because by saying that, you're making the assumption that marriage is best and that you should get married, which is not the case according to Jesus and the New Testament and the scriptures according to God. It's not necessary. It's just as good. And for some people, it's better to be single than it is to be married. In closing, I would like to pray a prayer of blessing um, over those who are single, and this would also include people who who don't have physical children, and it comes straight out of Isaiah chapter 56, verses 4 and 5. So will you bow with me and let me read this blessing to you. This is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name a name that is better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever.